0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8. Not really jumping into a Christmas message as of yet. We will bring some Christmas messages as we go through this month. Today I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into some of what we talked about last week from John chapter 8. We've been in verses 31 to 47, which are a part of the discourse that Jesus is bringing to the Jews who have believed in him. He said, I am the light of the world. That really dovetails with the Christmas message, doesn't it? And the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, last week, We began to talk about the bondage of the will. And I want to take this a step further. We're not going to read this entire text again, beginning in verse 37 and going to verse 47, 31 and going to verse 47. What I want you to do is begin with me, and I want you to look in the scripture in verse 43. Do remember some of the things that have been said by Jesus to these people Um, he has told them if you remain in my word then you are truly my disciple you will know the truth and the truth will do what set you free the direct implication of that statement is what apart from the truth we are in what bondage we're in captivity You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then Jesus went on and he talked about how the the one who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he says in verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm telling you? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then remember verse 44. Jesus is not mocking us. He's not mocking them. He's not denigrating them. He's not calling them names. He's just telling them the truth. He's telling them the truth about themselves and about all humanity in the condition that we are born. You are of your father, the devil. And then notice this phrase again. And your will, your will is to what? Do your father's desires. Notice again, will and desire and notice the concept of fatherhood because it is from fatherhood that we get nature. We're going to be looking at those words again today. Your will in your fallen condition inherited from Adam, which we looked at last week, is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character For Satan is a liar. We looked at the original lies in Genesis 3 last week. He's a liar and he is the father of lies. Because I tell the truth, right? Jesus is telling us the truth here. It's Because I tell you the truth that you do not believe me, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why won't you believe me? Whoever is born of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is you are not born of God. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we come to the word. Father, as we come to this text this morning, Lord, as I just try to unpack some thoughts for us today about ourselves, Understanding ourselves and even other people that we relate to, I just pray that you give me freedom to communicate or to make clear those things that I've looked at this week, and that, Father, you would help us to hear them, to understand your word, build our lives upon it. I pray, Holy Spirit, for that insight for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about the bondage of the will, and I want to go and we're going to do some real quick review of some things we've talked about as well as introduce you to some other thoughts that are very important for us today in this cultural moment in which we find ourselves. And the real question that I hope to answer today is and help us think about is how do you fix And we're going to use this word disordered desire. We live in a world, we live in a society where disordered desires have become very prevalent. How do you fix that? Now, the world says you can't, doesn't it? And you shouldn't even try. You know, you go to the state of California, where they outlaw everything except what is good. They, you know, have outlawed things like what they call reparative therapies to help people who have disordered desires. How do you fix desires when someone has desires? Maybe they don't even understand them, but they have desires that are disordered. How does someone fix that? How do you do that? When we want to think about it related to the scripture. Now, I' just lay a little that's the primary th- where we're going to go, and I want us to think again about these three related terms. We're going to think about will, we're going to think about desire, and we're going to think about nature. When I talk about will, we are talking about what? My capacity to make choices. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, I could not be one traveler and travel both. Long I stood and looked down, you know, one to where a bent in the undergrowth and took the other as just as fair, having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. You know, we make choices, we take paths, we go directions in life and we do so when we exert will. Now, why do we make the choices that we make? Why do we exert our will in certain directions? It's because of desires, correct? The desires that are within me. And where do my desires come from? From my nature. Now, what we want to look at today is you do not fix disordered desires... By trying to just exert willpower, <clears throat> the way disordered desires get fixed is not by will; it is by nature. Something has to change within nature. Look at Psalm eighteen, verse thirty-nine, for just a minute. Psalm eighteen is a great psalm. Some. Amy and I were spending some time in prayer this week together about an issue that we were dealing with. And while we were praying, this verse just popped out of nowhere from the Spirit into my mind, thinking about some issues that we were dealing with. And it's just been in my mind all this week. But, you know, we are in a battle, all of us are, against the desires of the flesh. And David said in Psalm 18, you equipped me. You equipped me with strength for the battle. God has equipped us, each one of us, in his word with the strength that we need to face whatever battle it is that we may be facing. Uh, You know, if you think about winning the war against temptation and sin... In order to win the war, I think one of the things that's important is that we know the enemy that we face, that we know his tactics, his schemes, and that we are then trained and equipped to face him. I've been reading a book on the Second World War. I love reading history, and I've read so many books on the Second World War, but nevertheless, I'm reading another, and I'm reading about the European theater and coming down from the Battle of D-Day till the end of the war. It's very intriguing in that there's a whole chapter where he talks about logistics and supply. And one of the things that really prolonged the war in the European theater in the Second World War was the difficulty that our army had in getting what the men needed to fight effectively excuse me, effectively to them on the front. They had very limited number of ports. They had destroyed by bombing all the railroads and all the roads, and somehow they have to be able to move massive amounts of supplies to these men who were fighting to keep them going. Think about this, every day, every day, the armies of the allies in Europe ate, it's just what they ate, 4,000 cows. Think about that, every day, this isn't the people of Europe, this isn't everybody else that's living there, this is just the army that has been transported there every day. It took 4,000 cows getting killed to keep those men fighting. Get this. How many eggs do you think they ate? (laughs) 6.5 million every day. And they had to get to them on the front. Every minute of every hour, Every day of every week, every minute, those men expended two ton of ammunition. Every minute from the day they landed on June 6, 1944, till the war ended. And somehow they had to get that capability to those men so they could fight. They had to be trained, and they had to be equipped, and they had to have what they needed to fight. God has given to us in his word everything we need to fight and win the battle. We may not make use of it all the time, though. And we may not know many times the things that are available to us in his word. And so I wanna draw our attention to some things that we can think about today when we think about facing temptation. Now let's talk about the will and bondage real quick. This is review, so we're like putting this into fifth gear and we're going on overdrive, so just remember with me. Number one, where does bondage come from? Why is my will in bondage? It was because of original sin. That was Adam's guilt, Adam's sin, Adam and Eve in the garden ate of the tree that God said, you shall not eat of it. If you do, you will die. That sin that Adam committed was different, not in character, but in its extent, in its consequence. That sin was different than any sin that any other human being has ever committed. It was completely unique. In that by that sin, all of humanity died. And the universe was plunged into a curse. So this bondage that we experience comes from original sin what does this bondage consist of it consists of my heart is depraved jeremiah 17:9. remember that the heart is what wonderful and furry and nice and good and loving above everything else that it is and sometimes we just happen to do things that are wrong what did god tell us in jeremiah the heart is what Above everything else that it is, my heart, I need to understand of it. It is deceitful, and it is wicked, and who can understand it? That's what I am. You are too, but that's what I am. How can I be set free from this bondage? It is by the truth. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Now, let's talk about understanding man's will again. Number one, then we saw last week in this chapter in John 8, we are bound in sin. We are bound in sin. We were murdered in Adam in the garden. Satan's original temptation made Satan the mass murderer of all humanity. We talked about that. He was a murderer from the beginning. It makes us prone to believe lies. Not because we actually think they're true. We're just prone to believe them because they make us feel better about ourselves. And then because of that, because of this thing with man's will, we are unable and we are unwilling to please God. Now, there were three interrelated terms. Let's look at them real quick. Number one, we talked about our will. That is you have a capability or a capacity to choose. How do you spell choose? Sorry. We also have desires. This is lust, that's the Greek word. And we have a nature. These three words are related. They are related in this way. We looked at this last week. I make my choices based on my desires, correct? And then my desires don't just come out of thin air. Where do my desires come from? They grow out of my nature. And so we looked at this last week in Second Peter chapter 2. Peter used an illustration. He said the dog's nature... Is to do what? To its vomit. Go and return to it and eat it. That's his nature. Why does he desire to eat his vomit? Because it's his nature. The pig, what does he do? You clean him up. But the pig then returns to what? Wallowing in his mire. Why does he do that? Well, it's because it's his nature. So his choice grows out of his nature and his desires come out of nature and thus affect his choice. So my choice in life, the choices I make stem from my nature, my being. Now, we're gonna talk about contending with disordered desire. I like this phrase because it helps me think about what we're talking about when we talk about sin. That it is a disordered desire. What are disordered desires? Why are there disordered desires? Where do they come from? And then how do I deal with a disordered desire, both in myself? or in others. Probably the biggest nightmare that any parent faces or thinks about is in this present world having their child come to them and saying, I have this desire not for the opposite sex but for my same gender. What do you do if your kid comes to you and tells you that down the road? How are you gonna deal with it? Oh, we'll just take him to counseling. Well, we'll just affirm him in his feeling. How do you deal with disordered desire? You say, I'll never face that. You know what? There's been a lot of people who thought they would never face that, who were surprised when it knocked on their door. So we need to think about these things very carefully. So we're gonna talk about what is a disordered desire? Why are they there? How do I deal with them? Now, here's first of all, the first thing that I wanna think about. how does the world deal with disordered desire? First thing is it does what? It simply redefines it, doesn't it? Well, that's not disordered. That's just what? Normal. It's just normal. So instead of saying, okay, this is not the normal order, they'll just say, oh, this is fine. They'll redefine. So the first way the world deals with this today is they're going to simply redefine what is ordered. The second thing they'll do is this. The only other thing that the world can do because it can't do nothing with the nature is they have to deal with it on the level of the will. Remember these three words, will, desire, and nature? What I'm gonna to demonstrate to you today is if somebody's dealing with desire, disordered desire, maybe it's you and you're dealing with some temptation in your life that you know is disordered, the world's gonna tell you the way you win that battle is by exerting what? Willpower, by willpower. What the scripture is gonna say, no, that's not where the wheel or where the battle is won. Where the battle is won is down under the surface in confronting the nature, the nature. We all know this, the human will has proven itself to be a notoriously sputtery engine. Has it not? How many times have you made a resolution you're gonna quit something? Maybe it's having that piece of cake at 11 o'clock at night when you know it doesn't go anywhere except to not good flattering places on your body. (laughs) I'm gonna quit doing that. It's easy to decide you're not gonna do it at 10 in the morning when you're not being tempted. But 11 o'clock at night when you're being tempted by it, what do you find out about human will? It is a notoriously sputtery engine. Because human will does not win the battle. Never has, never will. That's what we wanna look at this morning for a few minutes as we think about what the scripture says. Now, what are disordered desires? If I asked you, what is a disordered desire? What do I mean by that? Okay, let's just think about this logically, thinking about words here. Huh, there we go. Order. God is a God of what? Order. And God has created in his universe certain order. So what is God's order for marriage. God made who? Adam and God made Eve. That was God's order. All through scripture you will see various things that God did and then God said of it this is good and this is my will. This is my plan. This is my will. It is my order. Now something that is disordered would be something that is what? Contrary to God's order. So if God said in his word, the natural order that I have created is for a man to be drawn in desire to a woman, and for whatever reason I find within myself an inclination to be drawn to another man, then that inclination is a what? It is a disordered desire. If God said in his word that he created mankind, male and female, and then I find in myself that I have this inclination to think that I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, then that would be a what? That's a disordered function. Now, if God created food, and he said of food that it is good, and I find myself being a glutton, gluttony is a what? It's a disordered desire. It's a disordered desire for food. The word that best expresses this concept in scripture is the word iniquity. Okay, we don't often think about what iniquity is, but there's all these synonyms in the scripture for sin, like transgression, there's sin, there's iniquity, these various concepts. And in that word, the word iniquity comes from a Hebrew word, which means to twist to twist. And so think with me, if you're a builder and you've got to, you, you know, you're going to go to your lumber pile and you're framing up a, a wall or you're, you're laying, uh, you know, down floor joists and you pick up a board and you look at it before you're going to use it, you look to see if it has a what? A bow or a twist. Because if it's twisted, it's not useful for that part of what you're doing because it's twisted. And, and what he's telling us here is a part of my nature is God has given to us good commands in scripture and given to us good things like human sexuality. But there's something in my nature that wants to take what God made, which is good, and to twist it. And then it becomes what? Disordered. It becomes disordered. So that's when we're talking about disordered desires, we are talking about desires that we as human beings have That are twisted. They take something that God has given that is good. Maybe it's food. And now I have a twisted desire for it. Or maybe it's human sexuality or whatever the case may be. That we're talking about in specific issues that I may face. Now where do disordered desires come from? First of all they come from original sin or inherited depravity. Secondly... I want us to think about James chapter 1 for a minute. In James chapter 1, we are told this by by James, by the Holy Spirit. Let no man say when he is tempted to sin, he is tempted by who? God. So where do disordered desires come from? First of all, they don't come from God. God. God didn't give me that desire. Don't blame God. Let no man say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? Because God cannot be tempted by evil. And then secondly, he says, and God does not tempt any man. Now, does God put tests in front of us? Yes, he does. He tested Abraham and others. He tests But he does not put a stumbling block in front of us that would cause us to sin. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt any man. But then he says this, but every man. Think about that, first of all. He doesn't just say, but men. He says, but the emphasis is on the word every, but every man. In other words, if you're sucking wind and you're still alive and you're on this planet, please mark it down. Let him who thinks he stands take heed what? Lest he fall. Every man is tempted when what happens? He is drawn away and enticed of his own desires. His own desires. That tells me that every man is tempted, but every man also has very unique temptations that are a part of who he is. The fact that you are tempted or are not tempted by some certain things does not say that you are better than any other person or worse. You are simply tempted by your own desire. Your specific Being who you are from that being will flow certain desires now we're going to say that desires that we have come from two places number one they come from our nature and they also come from nurture these would be factors that are just true of who I am in my lived experience, you've had certain things happen in your life that didn't happen to me. I've had certain things happen to me, and I've done certain things that are unique to me. And those actions or those things that were done to me are going to affect me in a way that caused me to be tempted by certain things. There are some things that are true about my nature and there are some things that are true about my nurturing that are going to cause me to have certain inclinations towards certain things. So it's both nature and nurture. Now, when we think about this, I was reading a really interesting article about this, and I want to think about trauma for just a minute because a lot of times people say, well, you know, all these traumatic things that have happened in my life that go all the way back to my childhood and stuff, that just made me who I am, and because of that, I can't help it. Trauma. Trauma's a big word now today in the counseling field. And... Does trauma have a role in my desires? Yes, it does. But I us to think about this, and this woman who's a counselor said, very insightful. We take one truth about ourselves, and this is a satanic lie in what happens to us. We take one truth about ourselves, and then we make it the what? Primary influence over our entire life. And when we do that, we end up with a skewed picture of the human experience. When we highlight trauma, past trauma, and we put it at the forefront of our being, we give Satan a foot in the door to disorder our desires even more. Just think of Joseph. Think about some of the trauma that that poor guy faced. I mean, seriously, go through that story sometime. You think you've had some trauma in your life? I bet Joseph beat you. I just bet he does. Okay, he had some trauma. He should have been in, you know, know, like, you know, just twitching and, you know, (laughs) in a straitjacket. But what did he do? I mean, what did he do? That guy lived his life successfully for the glory of God like none other in scripture. He is one of the few men in the Bible who's a major player in the Bible that God says nothing bad about him, nothing. Did he have trauma? Yep, how did he deal with it? Study that story sometime if you wanna deal with your past because Joseph knew what it was all about. So how do I win? How do I win these bonds? Number one, you gotta know God's order. You've got to know God's order. The world will not tell you what God's order is. God's word tells you what God's order is. Know God's order. Number two, you must trust and embrace God's order for yourself. Even when your feelings are saying something very different. You must trust it. And you must embrace it. And then I'll tell you this, you got to fight. If you are dealing with a disordered desire and you don't understand where that's coming from and maybe you don't even understand why it's there, I will tell you what, if you know what God's order is, if you will trust and embrace what God has said and then you will fight every moment of every day utilizing the availability that God has given us in his word, you will win for God's grace, by God's grace. Victory is directly proportionate to the use we make of the means of grace, directly proportionate. I read kind of a stunning statistic this week that I received from somebody in a counseling setting. Like, for instance, he was talking about our world today. One of the things he was talking about was suicide. Suicide is a disordered desire, right? It's a disordered desire. In the last 50 years, think about this. The suicide rate in America has gone up 200%. 50 years. You say, why? Well, it must have been kind of like the COVID bug. You know, you just get this virus and it's called the suicide virus. Is that why? Is that where suicide comes from? Is it an illness? No, not at all. It's a sin, it's a disordered desire. Why is it so prevalent today? 50 years, go back in time about 50 years and see the kind of things that were happening in America 50 years ago and what we abandoned and where we have gone and how it has impacted society. And it's just so interesting because the world will not face that truth. Just like Jesus said, why won't you hear me if I tell you the truth? They don't wanna hear that. Suicide is an illness, but it's not. It's a disorder of desire. Our victory or our defeat will be directly proportionate to the use we make of the means of grace that God has given us in His Word. Now, when we think about sin, here's another important truth I want you to think about for a minute. It comes from Romans 6. Don't just try to suppress sin, you need to kill it. There is a big difference. You go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. He will teach you to suppress sinful urges. How do you kill them? By a new nature. Amen. By a new nature. And that is what John talks about in John chapter, 1 John chapter 5. We'll look at this real quick and then I'm going to close. John says this. We know that everyone. Who has been born of God does not sin. Now, you say, well, I think I was born again, and I sure sinned yesterday. (laughs) So what does that mean? Okay. The tense of this and the idea of this phrase is not like to just practice or to just do a sin. It is speaking of what we were talking about in John 8 of being enslaved and under the power and dominion of sin. Sin is a principle. Whoever has been born of God is not enslaved to sin, but the one, that's Jesus, who is born of God, keeps him. He guards us. And the evil one cannot touch him. We know that we are born of God, but the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. We know, here's another thing we know, that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are in the true one. That is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and he is eternal life. Little children... Guard yourselves from idols. Guard yourselves from idols. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that as we think about ourselves and we think about sometimes desires that just almost seem to spontaneously arise within us, we think, where did that come from? Why do I want that? Help us to see that that's just coming from the dark side. It's coming from that evil nature that we inherited from Adam. But, Father, we are not enslaved to it. Help us, Lord, not to just try to win the victory by just exerting willpower. Help us to rely upon your word and to fight the battle using the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, Lord, I just pray if there's somebody in this room, maybe it's a young person who's just been immersed in the world in which we live and they're struggling with feelings and thoughts that they don't understand. Father, you'd help them to seek some help. Father, help them to understand that we're not here to condemn or to mock or to deride them. We are here to help them. Lord, this is very real in this world in which we live. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.